Hello and welcome to another special episode of the Bipolar Feminist Podcast. This is your host, Nikita Ramkisun, and in this episode, we talk about how the overturning of Roe v. Wade disproportionately affects people of color and poor people in the U.S. Trigger warning. This episode contains multiple trigger points, such as racial discrimination, poverty, slavery, medical trauma, miscarriage, and the fuckery of the U.S. legal system. We Won't Go Back is an inadequate rallying cry, prompted only by events that belie its message. But it is true in at least one sense. The future that we now inhabit would not resemble the past before Roe, when women sought out illegal abortions and not infrequently found death. The principal danger now lies elsewhere and arguably reaches further. We have entered an era not just of unsafe abortion, but of widespread state surveillance and criminalization of pregnant women but also of doctors and pharmacists and clinic staffers and volunteers and friends and family members, of anyone who comes into meaningful contact with a pregnancy that does not end in a healthy birth. Those who argue that this decision won't actually change things are blind to the ways in which state-level anti-abortion crusades have already turned pregnancy into punishment and the ways in which the situation is poised to become much worse, especially for the marginalized. As we consider the implications of the Supreme Court ruling overturning Roe v. Wade, one open question is how states will enforce the abortion bans that are expected in at least 26 states. History shows that the prospective anti-abortion laws will not eliminate the behavior that is outlawed, but will, through biased, targeted enforcement, disproportionately harm poor people and people of color. This much is true. In the U.S., the abortion rate for black women is almost five times that for white women. Anti-abortion activists, including some black pastors, have been waging a campaign around this fact, falsely asserting that the disparity is a result of aggressive marketing by abortion providers to minority communities. That abortion bans would resemble your average day in the U.S. policing is not an exaggeration. Just like the war on drugs made it easy for the criminal justice system to target certain communities, particularly the poor and people of color, disparities in the way in which policies are enforced infect every stage of the system, such as the decision to arrest, the decision to lay a charge, and which charges to bring, the trial process, and sentencing. Poor black women will bear the brunt. Wealthy white individuals rarely face serious drug charges, if any, for the same behaviors that would be charged to a poor individual, a person of color, or someone who falls into both categories. There is every reason to expect similar systemic bias in the enforcement of abortion bans. We know this because, although thus far rare, Certain states have prosecuted women for experiencing a miscarriage or stillbirth. Those cases reveal a clear pattern of racial and class bias. One study found that 59% of defendants were women of color, and 71% could not afford a lawyer. Though some of the most egregious instances of criminalizing pregnancy have sparked national outrage, the practice is widespread and becoming more common. Prosecutions have occurred in at least 44 states, of which 1,600 recorded cases three quarters occurred in the past 15 years. Abortion bans will most certainly intensify prosecutions for miscarriage, with particularly negative effects for women of color, given the underlying racial disparities in maternal and infant health. Moreover, with Roe's reversal, some states have already put in place criminal penalties for people who have abortions, though pro-life activists have persistently claimed that abortion bans only target doctors and others who assist people in accessing abortion. A few weeks ago, 
the president of the Susan B. Anthony List, which is one of America's largest anti-abortion interest groups, stated that women will never be part of the punishment. Women will not be any way penalized. But in South Carolina, a person who has an abortion faces two years in prison. Legislation is moving forward in Louisiana to classify abortions as homicide. Given the vicious history of racial bias in the criminal justice system, it is reasonable to anticipate that prosecutions under laws such as these would also be influenced by race and class bias. The smaller a person's bank account and the darker the person's skin, the more likely they will face criminal charges. And these laws would break up families. People who have abortions are usually already mothers. 59% of people who have abortions have previously had a child. In addition to the likelihood of racist enforcement practices, abortion bans may make the targeted behavior far more dangerous, but not far less common. The disparities in unintended pregnancy rates result mainly from the similar disparities in access to effective use of contraceptives. As of 2002, 15% of black women at risk of unintended pregnancy, i.e. those who are sexually active, fertile and not wanting to be pregnant, were not practicing contraception, compared with 12 and 9% of their Hispanic and white counterparts. These figures and the disparities among them are significant given that, nationally, half of all unintended pregnancies result from the small proportion of women who are at risk but not using contraceptives. When Justice Harry A. Blackman penned the decision legalizing abortion in Roe v. Wade, he wrote that the right to personal privacy includes the abortion decision, but this right is not unqualified and must be considered against important state interests in regulation. Although this was a huge win for those seeking to both legalize abortion and prevent harm inflicted on people seeking illegal and unsafe abortions, it also opened the door to restrictions on the right to abortion. That door was pushed open further with the ruling in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which allowed states to regulate abortion provided that they didn't create an undue burden to patients seeking care. State politicians across the country have marched right through that door. A quarter of the more than 1,000 state abortion restrictions were passed between 2011 and 2015 in mostly conservative states. And now it's working. In 2011, almost 90% of counties did not have an abortion provider, and since then that number has increased. Five states, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wyoming, have only one abortion clinic in the entire state, while others like Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, Ohio, and Texas only have a handful of clinics left a drastic shift from just a few years ago. The closures are particularly concentrated in the South, where more than half of black Americans reside. Despite anti-choice activists repeating the myth that most abortion clinics are set up in predominantly black communities, fewer than one in 10 are actually in communities with majority people of color. Restricting abortion does not prevent abortion from occurring, I will say it again and again and again. Though abortion has been increasingly restricted for decades, it remains a common practice Currently, nearly one in four women in the U.S. will have an abortion by the time they are 45 years old. Abortion restrictions do have one impact, though. They make abortion much less safe. Most Americans, all of those under 60 years old today, were not of childbearing age in pre-Roe America, when over 100,000 illegal abortions occurred each year. Criminalizing access to safe, early treatments like the abortion pill would drive more women to seek out risky, unsanctioned procedures later in pregnancy, the kind of procedures that, before Roe, could sometimes be deadly. It's unclear as to how this will unfold. What is very clear, however, is that abortion bans are very likely to add another chapter to the US's long record of injustice by abusing poor people and people of color under the guise of criminal justice. With this tidal wave of anti-choice laws quickly washing away the rights that Roe v. Wade gave to all women, it's clear that not all communities are impacted the same. 
In the US, race and class are major factors in who can access abortion care, contraception, and maternal health care. However, mainstream discourse all too often separates race and class from abortion. It ignores the complex issues around a person's ability to decide whether, when, and how to become a parent. It ignores how crucial the abortion decision is to gender equity, economic stability, and a healthy life free from violence. Mainstream discourse about abortion decisions does not often include the ability of someone to parent their children with dignity. While claiming to care about black lives, anti-abortion advocates have used racist billboard campaigns to shame black women out of having abortions, without addressing any of the reasons why we choose abortion. Lack of access to contraception and comprehensive sexual health education, along with severe cuts to healthcare, safety nets and nutritional programs, etc., etc. In 2010, 65 billboards went up in Atlanta declaring black children are an endangered species. Famously in Chicago, a billboard featured an image of former President Barack Obama and stated, every 21 minutes our next possible leader is aborted. In response, billboards have gone out to speak to the needs of black women. In Memphis, Tennessee, Sister Reach used several billboards to address the need for access to healthcare that includes reproductive care, neighborhoods free from toxins and violence, and quality schools. The message of New Voices Cleveland's billboards in the wake of the 2014 police shooting of 12-year-old Tamir Rice was that reproductive justice must include assurance that families are able to raise children free from racist violence, including police brutality. Seeing reproductive health, rights and justice in this larger intersectional context clearly underscores what women in communities of color need. More to the point, it shows the needs anti-abortion advocates and politicians are not addressing. Black women have historically found themselves at the center for the fight for reproductive freedom. Sexual exploitation, violence, and forced reproduction were a central part of the slave trade, even after Congress passed the Act Prohibiting Importation of Slaves in 1807. Without the ability to import slaves from Africa and the Caribbean, slaveholders focused additional resources on ensuring their female slaves became pregnant and gave birth to healthy children to create future slaves and expand property. Slaveholders used rape as a tool for procreation, as well as a weapon to punish female slaves for sexual gratification. Slavery is terrible for men, but is far more terrible for women, said Harriet Jacobs, an escaped slave and writer quoted in Dr. Dorothy Roberts' book, Killing the Black Body. Enslaved women used herbs such as black whore root, red shank root, red pepper and gunpowder as forms of contraception, as well as to increase the spacing between their pregnancies and to terminate pregnancies. The ability to prevent unintended pregnancies and abort unwanted pregnancies traditionally allowed women to protect their health. Well, abortion is safer than carrying a pregnancy to term, always, and to control the size of their family. To control one's reproductive health and fertility during slavery was seen as an act of rebellion, challenging slaveholder authority. Abortion stigma may have had its beginnings here, as it denied slave owners the ability to profit from enslaved women's bodies. Once slavery was abolished and black women needed support for raising their families, their fertility was deemed irresponsible and a burden to society. Yet access to birth control and abortion care was segregated. Historian Leslie J. Regan writes in When Abortion Was a Crime, White hospitals and providers refused to offer health care to black patients, forcing black doctors to set up separate illegal abortion and birth control clinics. Race and racism have been intertwined with reproductive health care and its lack thereof. Hundreds of years later, not much has changed. Although media depictions tend to portray a woman getting an abortion as a young, single, white, middle-class woman without children, the majority of people having abortions are people of color, the majority of whom are already parenting in poverty. According to the Guttmacher Institute, black women account for 30% of abortions, Latinas for 25, and other non-white races account for 9%. And there are other complexities buried in the statistics. 
While it's true that black women obtain abortions at five times the rate of white women, researchers attribute this to the lack of health insurance and contraception access. Low-income women tend to get their contraception dispensed from the same reproductive health care clinics that are being shut down. Because these low-income women don't have access to contraception, they need access to abortion. Of all women obtaining abortions, 42% are living below the federal poverty level of $10,830 for a single woman without children. Another 37% live between 100 and 199% of the federal poverty level. Women denied abortions they seek are three times more likely to be living in poverty two years later. Among abortion restriction policies that drive numbers like these, the Hyde Amendment is singular in its effect of turning abortion access to a war on the poor. Hyde denied Medicaid recipients, disproportionately women of color, access to abortion care by banning insurance coverage. This policy leads one in four women to carry a pregnancy to term that she otherwise might not have. It's been 49 years since Roe v. Wade. Many Americans can recall the days before the landmark decisions when women sought abortions from illegal providers and died as a result. We haven't come so far. According to a 2015 study by the Texas Policy Evaluation Project at the University of Texas at Austin, an estimated 100,000 to 240,000 women have attempted self-induced abortions because of an inability to access medical abortion. In June 2015, a 23-year-old black woman was arrested in Georgia on charges of malice, murder, and possession of a dangerous drug after she attempted to induce her abortion with medication, reportedly because of a breakup with her partner and the lack of abortion care providers in her community. The woman, who was allegedly 22 weeks pregnant, purchased abortion medication online but was rushed to the hospital when she began to bleed out. A hospital social worker called the police and the woman was arrested. The murder charge was later dropped. She is just one more in a long line of women of colour who have faced criminal charges and jail time for or being suspected of inducing an abortion. Earlier in 2015, a 33-year-old American woman of Indian descent was accused of feticide after seeking treatment at an emergency room for a miscarriage. Authorities found text messages where she had told a friend she purchased abortion medication from a Hong Kong pharmacy. She was serving a 20-year sentence until May 2016 she filed an appeal, which she won. There are many others. Women of color tend to live in poverty and tend to lack access to reproductive health care and tend to be criminalized for self-inducing abortions. As states increasingly criminalize abortion, low-income women of color are the targets. It is paramount that we fight for reproductive justice and bodily autonomy at the same time that we fight for black liberation. As activists attempt to reverse the tide of abortion restrictions, it would be a mistake not to make racial and economic injustice central themes in this reproductive rights movement going forward, because lives depend on it. Thank you for listening. Again, this is your host, Nikita Ramkisun, and I would like for you to support upholding abortion rights. So please check out the Center for Reproductive Rights at reproductiverights.org and look out for networks in your area that you can help by providing financial and mutual aid or show support by raising awareness to the issue, educating people and debunking myths, especially in online spaces.